Hello and welcome to the Curator Salon podcast. I'm Geeta Joshi and my guest today is all the way from Edinburgh, Alistair Thompson. Welcome, Alistair. Hello there. Good to be here. So I can't remember when I first came across your work, but I think it was at an art fair and I was really taken with the sculpture that you produce that is very contemporary. It's very trompe l'oeil, you know, looking like very soft drapery, but with a very hard and difficult material. So I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, when did you first come to be working in stone? Because it's not something that's typically taught in art schools. That's true. I studied a degree in art history, and that came with a great focus on Renaissance sculpture. The majority of these works that I studied were, were made in stone, and I was also fascinated by how something so animated and naturalistic could be made of something as inert as stone. So from early in my degree, I was always drawn towards works made of stone, not actually only sculpture, but also architecture. Um, but in the course of my studies, I was never offered the opportunity to really try stone carving. Not at all. Uh, I never had the desire to go to art college either, but I at least had this interest in art, enough to embark on an academic degree in the subject. After graduating, I was abroad in Canada and I had the opportunity to try sculpture for myself and I found that it really resonated with me. And that was back in 2005. And since then, I've been really trying to pursue sculpture, specifically stone carving, and uh, trying to find opportunities wherever, wherever I can, or at least wherever I could. Uh, I'm now considering myself a, a full-time professional sculptor. But um, back then, I was having to scratch around and find whatever I could. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to, to find uh, an, an American sculptor in Connecticut who worked in granite. His name was Mark Menon. He took me on as, as an apprentice uh, with no experience, very generously took me on and, and sort of gave me my baptism by fire. You know, I, I had to make the decision about whether or not to pursue sculpture seriously. And I thought that if I was going to do that, I had to go and train properly. And that, that took place in Italy. So I went and did my diploma near Siena. My, my training took place right in the heart of Tuscany, right amongst all these iconic works of Renaissance sculpture and architecture. I would visit museums and churches in cities like Siena and Florence. And I'd bring that inspiration back to the studio and employ that in my pursuit of honing my skills and, and in squeezing every bit of knowledge I could out of my teachers. I was trained by these Italian artisans who had decades of experience and I was learning techniques from them, methods that they had been taught, passed down through many generations of uh, artigiani. But I was really seeing these works of sculpture and architecture, uh, many of which I studied in my degree, but I was now seeing them afresh. I was seeing them through the lens of a sculptor rather than as an academic. So stone carving really just consumed me that year. Um, I would stay after class for an extra four hours to practice what I'd learned that day. Um, I just really wanted to squeeze every last drop of out of the experience of learning to carve stone in Italy that I could. 
So you mentioned in Connecticut you were training with a granite sculptor, but what sort of stones were you using when you were in Italy? Because I know now you mostly use Carrara. So I also wanted to ask why that is your preferred stone. Yes, when I worked in Connecticut for Mark Menon, I was working in granite. And as I said before, that was a real baton by fire. You know, I was coming to sculpture with no experience and I was being expected to do the work and produce results in this extremely formidable material that I had zero experience of working in. Not only just that material, but stone in general. And I was being thrown into this, uh, into, into his practice, uh, which was unfortunately for me, well, maybe unfortunately or fortunately, it was uh, one of the, the hardest stones one could choose to carve sculpture from. So I, I, what I learned during that experience was confidence in using the tools rather than honing my techniques. I used a lot of power tools in making his work. And I also still use power tools in, in my own. And angle grinders, that are, are, they're scary to use, and um, especially to inexperienced people. So coming to Italy for my diploma, I came with an experience of using these tools and therefore had a confidence in that. But what I didn't have was a honed technique. And I spent my year, my diploma year, having all my bad habits undone. And, and sort of rebuilt. We were also using travertine, uh, a far softer stone uh, than I was used to. So I had to learn a new sense of touch in my approach. And as to the work I'm making now, I, I, yeah, I predominantly use Carrara marble and for a number of reasons. There are not many stones native to Scotland that I would choose to work in. And although we do have marble here, and although it's a very beautiful stone, uh, it is quarried through blasting techniques which riddles it with fractures this ultimately renders it useless for sculpture which is a shame because it's it is a really beautiful stone but i can procure carrara marble quite easily and carrara marble allows me to realize my ideas in a way that would not necessarily be achievable in other types of stone like the the scottish marble it falls apart as, as i try to work in it other stones available locally, like sandstone or granite, um, they have their place, but Carrara marble is the stone in which I find I can be most expressive. There's also this extra weight of art history that Carrara marble carries with it. It was the preferred stone of choice for Michelangelo and Bernini, for example, and many of the most iconic works in sculpture are made from it. So there's there's something about using the same material that these titans of sculpture who came before me used. Something about carrying, carrying on that tradition. We sometimes think that all the great works have already been made and that the things that we're making today are not necessarily important. But I like to think that we as artists are not just making work for a contemporary audience, but that we are adding to and building upon this great wealth of art history um, and on the heritage of, of those that came before us. I hope that something of what I make over the course of my career will be considered important or significant. So in your own work, how does the art history and the atelier training actually then manifest, would you say? Well, I think that because I had an artisanal training, 
I, I learned the processes of copying a model accurately. And because I didn't go to art college, I feel like I never really learned to work my conceptual muscles properly. So you won't see much abstraction in my work. My work tends to be quite representational, I suppose. And I think that comes from the training I had. When I started making work for myself, I drew from the fascination that I had had in the drapery of the sculptures that I had studied in my degree and sculptures that I was subsequently surrounded by during my time in Italy. And so I drew from that and started to make a body of work that was a contemporary take on this very classical subject. I made lots of dresses and blouses and have slowly moved towards other things like footwear and apparel. But I think it was successful because I was carving contemporary clothing. I think people could see themselves in it or could understand these items as being something familiar because the garments were contemporary. I think perhaps that when the viewer sees these figurative sculptures shrouded in great swathes of fabric, they don't necessarily identify with the subject as readily and maybe dismiss them as a result. But I think in the contemporary setting, these sculptures that I'm making, there are, there are items that people can more readily identify with. And they're also playful. And you know, they have this lightness yet are made from this really hard material. And when people suddenly have that realization of, you know, of what it is and what it's made from, uh, it's sort of, it's fun to, to kind of watch their reaction. So I love the apparel sculptures. What sort of feedback or comments have you had from people? Yeah, people like the, the trompe l'oeil aspect of my work. Um, and especially these pieces on hangers that we've been discussing. They also, I think, they also resonate with people because of the sense of memory or memorial that they seem to evoke. As a maker, I'm drawn to the material, to the marble, and to the process predominantly. People uh, have been quite moved by some of these little girls' dresses, for example. Um, and I think that in some way validates what I'm doing. Mm. So as I said, I can't quite remember where I first came across your work, but I'm pretty sure it was with a gallery. And I think it was actually at an art fair. But I know you show less and less with galleries these days and have worked on some brand collaborations quite a bit in the last year. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's true that when I started making sculpture, I felt like the, the gallery route was the only route that I could take. I knew so little of the art world that that's, that's how I thought the art world worked. And that's the route that I certainly pursued. But that traditional route doesn't necessarily work for me these days. And I have moved away from, from the, the traditional art, art world in that respect, the, the galleries and the, the open exhibitions. Uh, I don't tend to pursue that very much these days. I get more results in terms of recognition, coverage, commissions and sales through a more targeted approach of reaching out directly to people who I think would like what I do. And social media is great for this. And I think I have underestimated its power until quite recently, to be honest. But social media lets me showcase what I do. And it allows people to connect with me and interact with me in, a, in, a, in an immediate and direct way. I think that's where it it differs from the traditional gallery route. 
I think one has to take greater responsibility for self-promotion um, in this contemporary age of complete market saturation. I, I, I think I recognize now that part of my job is, is that self-promotion. It's marketing, it's phone calls, and it's, it's reaching out to people. And I sometimes feel guilty when I'm not in the studio and, and I'm taking care of these, these other matters. But I understand that this is now part of the job. It's part of the, the daily hustle, and actually, I, I quite enjoy it. I enjoy seeing the results of many months of, or even years, of, after planting a seed of an idea and nurturing it through sustained conversation. One inquiry I made with a sports brand, for example, took two years before they commissioned me, so it, it can take time. So I know you've had some commissions like the wedding dress and uh, the awards for Creative Edinburgh, and I'll add pictures into the show notes for that. But what would be a dream gig for you? There is one idea that just won't go away. Um, and it was, it was initially inspired by the three sets of doors on, on the Baptistry in Florence, which are these colossal bronze doors that depict scenes from the life of John the Baptist, scenes from the life of Christ, and stories from the Old Testament. And I remember seeing those for the first time. And I think it would be incredible to see a, a set of grand ceremonial doors carved in stone. And I think it would also include this engineering challenge, um, which is something that I enjoy in my own work. But finding a way to, to display something as, as challenging as, as, a, as, a, as a set of stone doors that would be functional as well. I think, I think that would be, um, I think that would be a dream gig for me. Love it. So I'm going to be in Florence in October. What's your recommendation? Where can I see some amazing sculpture? I think if you're in Florence, you've definitely got to go see some Michelangelo. I would recommend going to the Medici chapel. There's the, all his works at the Academia and yes, the David is there. And that's the most famous sculpture in the world. But I would go and see uh, the Medici Chapel. I think his work here is exquisite, as well as being placed in an architectural space that he also designed. I think it's extremely beautiful and harmonious. Love it. Well, I will definitely be heading to the Medici Chapel. It is one of my favorite places in Florence. And I understand you're going to be in Tuscany as well, uh, working on a commission. So I might even see you there. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to be in Carrara in October. I'll be there for about a month working on what will be my largest commission to date. So I'm extremely excited to be back in Italy and um, I'll certainly look forward to meeting with you in Florence and seeing some sculpture together. Great. Thanks so much for your time on the podcast today, Alistair. I'll see you next month. It's my pleasure. Good to chat to you. The Curator's Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.